Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Hey everybody, it's me, it's Edwin, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Leadership Podcast. On this episode, I sat down and had a really great conversation with the co-founder and head of product and design of Tribal Scale, Mitch Seguin. Mitch, he's a self-proclaimed geek from his roots building out hospital data centers to product management at Extreme Labs. It was fascinating to hear his thoughts on the voice-controlled era how the world is changing with the use of voice user interfaces like Google Echo and Dot. It was refreshing to hear how his leadership stock continues to evolve as his company has grown to over 90 people in less than two years and how he still likes to get down in the trenches to work with his team. Before jumping in, I would like to send out a huge shout out to my media partners, IT World Canada, for the support of the podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here today. Before we get started, Mitch, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit something about you and what you like to do? Sure, yeah. So I am a tech geek at heart. So every day, all day, I'm kind of constantly looking out for new products to play with. And it ends up being a huge advantage to me because that ties in really nicely with my actual job. But, but really, that's, that's one of my passions. And, and more recently, I guess, I've been getting much more involved into the art and design aspect of it. So, um, it, it molds in quite nicely with, with my, my role at Tribal Scale and, uh, continuing to kind of up-level myself and stay interested. So speaking of Tribal Scale, can you share what Tribal Scale does? What, what do they do and perhaps your current mission within the company and, and if there are any goals that you guys are working for in 2017? Yeah, most definitely. So um, I think the best way of summarizing it is Tribal Scale wants to be the leading innovation partner for enterprises, funded startups, and even individuals to help them bring ideas to life. And that comes across in multiple different ways. We, we do it through building product with people. We do it through transforming how people work. And we do it through uh, company creation and even investment. So it's in all realms, innovation is where we like to play. And myself specifically, I come from a product background and am now heading up the product and design teams. So I, I play across each of those pieces in in the product management and design aspects. It sounds like within the company and your role specifically, you're able to really help companies not only maybe come to market uh, within an enterprise space, you're able to innovate, help them change the way they work. I mean, it's such a cool space. I mean, if it were me, I'd almost be too excited to even sleep. Do you get that still? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think like to my earlier comments about my, my hobbies and what my interests are, they tie directly into what I'm doing every single day. So 
sometimes I, I well, more than sometimes, I often find myself work, working beyond hours, but it, not typically doing things that I would, I would consider work. So it ends up being pretty awesome there. Innovation is just one of those things that, especially in this current time where we're in this next wave, there's all kinds of opportunity to get to get involved, and you can only do that by spending the time. Tribal scale, super interesting. Seems to have grown quite a bit since you launched in 2015, um, and growing a company, scaling it is difficult. You're one of the co-founders, so I'm interested, and I'm curious to know as a leader of the company. What are the challenges that you had to face growing the team? I think you're over 70 now, right? Yeah, we're actually pushing 90 people now. Wow, congratulations. So it's been, it's been a, a wild, uh, growth ride. We essentially went from uh, a founding team to over 90 people in, in multiple offices in under a year and a half. So we've faced all kinds of challenges along the way. Myself specifically, I think, the number one challenge is having the right people. At the end of the day, especially in a services company like ours, everything is about our people and our culture. And when you grow at the pace we are, um, there, there's a, a couple main challenges. Number one, you're always hiring and it's not necessarily easy to always find the right people. So ensuring that we can bring on the right people is key and making the decisions and what's more important to us, whether it's specific skill sets or, or personality elements that we can further evol- evolve the person to be the ideal product manager or the ideal designer at tribal scale. Uh, and then Second to that is ensuring that our, our culture remains cohesive at, as we grow so fast. So those, those have been key elements that I've been thinking about throughout uh, our entire journey thus far. Well, I mean, congratulations. It sounds, sounds like you're still able to grow it. And definitely when you're growing within a year and a half to over 90, I mean, that's just a whirlwind. Do you have a specific headcount that you as an executive team are looking to grow to this year? Yeah, definitely. So we have, uh, we have growth plans based off of revenue targets we're aiming to hit. And essentially we were aiming to double our headcount from our, our previous fiscal year to the following one. So we're, we're on pace to, to most definitely do that. So by the end of the year, um, you know, we should probably be at 120, 130, uh, across three primary offices and a couple other satellite ones. This is not primarily your job, but I, I imagine that you're being one of the co-founders, you still have your, your hand in it and choosing the right people or, or seeing people come in. Oh, most definitely. I'm super involved in all aspects, hiring and onboarding. As part of our interview process, there's actually a, a pairing portion with myself. So people... Their last step is actually spending a couple hours with me doing some real work together in our offices so I can really have a a, a good feel for the person as, as an individual, how they would contribute to our culture and give them a taste of what they're actually doing day to day. And I think that's a key part. So despite how busy I end up getting, I'm constantly making time to ensure I can do that because that's... Like I said, people is prime importance, so that's my priority as well. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, ultimately, as the company grows, it's especially you 
being the head of the art, the design team and the product team, it's really a good understanding to, for the people coming on board, how is this team led? No, exactly. <laughs> how is it led? How involved are they? Are, do they actually care about what I'm doing? Do they see what I'm doing? All of this is important. And that's why as a leader, I want to ensure that I can be in the trenches with my team as appropriate. Will you continue to play an active role? I know there's a point when organizations grow where culture might start breaking down, processes start coming into place. Is this something that you might hold dear to yourself or, or maybe you'll play it out? Yeah. So it's something we're thinking about. Um, you know, now, now that we've actually been around for some time, we, we do have a group of employees who have been with us for over a year and, you know, very much fly the tribal scale flag as well and are able to play a huge role in helping ensure that the people we onboard continue being the right people. So, as we continue to scale, I, I see our initial hires being able to, to step in and and help me do what I'm doing. But I definitely, for the foreseeable future, am planning to have a pretty active role in that. We're here at the FITC Toronto Conference. It's a technology and design event. And you're running a workshop designed for voice. I'm really super interested on that as my background is in, I'm in telecom, so it's based around voice. I run a voice of IP company. So I'd love to ask you to share what your thoughts are in the new world. I think you're talking about voice user interfaces, uh, conversational voice controlled era. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm super excited to be giving that talk and I actually see conversational interfaces as one of the technologies in the past kind of 12 to 16 months getting the most traction. Uh, and, and it's super interesting to see that. So I, I think they're getting a lot of traction for uh, a number of reasons. One of them being the, the proliferation of API everything. So uh, it's making it very accessible for developers to to build things that could actually interact with either web services or, or physical devices in IoT. Um, folks like Google and Amazon are making the, the hard parts of the technology, like the natural language processing. They're, they're essentially turning that into table stakes and, and making it accessible by everyone. Uh, and then additionally, because those two companies and companies of their similar stature have so much data, they're able to use machine learning to continually refine the ability to create um, better natural language processing algorithms. So what, what that is doing is that's enabling companies like ours, uh, partnering with brands to build really impactful voice interfaces that, that speak to immediate user needs at a, at a fairly low low barrier of entry. It's not like building mobile apps was five years ago where, you know, if you wanted an app, you're engaging in a eight month long project with uh, building an Alexa skill or something on Google home or even a chat bot. This is something that you could literally do in, you know, the three to six week range, which enables people to rapidly experiment and generate value for their users. So that's why I see it as super exciting. No, I mean, voice is, is the enabler. It's still the, 
the one thing that slows us down from all our gadgets and our, all our interfaces from our computers to our mobile phones, we're still typing in single digit things and, and voice will definitely could be the biggest shift. And I talk about this with a lot of my friends, my circle of colleagues of once we're able to not touch a computer screen, then I think there'll be a big jump again in terms of innovation and, and not not only innovation, but how fast we're able to work. No, I completely agree with you. Um, I, if we look at how interfaces came to be in the, in the first place, UIs, user interfaces, were meant to be um, an enabler for for people to be able to interact and speak with machines. As in, as the natural language processing capabilities continue to rise, we no longer need those interfaces to be, to be the barrier of the interaction. We can start doing it in a conversational manner. And for anybody who, who has used the new Amazon Echo or Dot, um, it's a world of difference compared to voice interfaces that you may have had on your phone even two or three years ago. That's cool. I'm wondering, and, I, and just thinking as you were talking, do you see any specific verticals or industries that, are, that, that might be looking to implement this? In my mind, it'd be something like within the retail space or, or within e-commerce, which is still retail, uh, where, where you want to be, someone might be just surfing mobily and, and they just want to talk to someone or search something. Like, like, do you see coming as a partnership with a lot of these larger companies? Do you see a specific industry that adapts this faster, sooner? Well, I think one of the, First ones that are outside, I'm, I'm going to step outside of retail for a second, just because Amazon was kind of first to launch anything successful. So they obviously ha- did a great job tying in voice interfaces with their own e-commerce platform. But uh, the next industry, obviously anything where you want to do something hands-free is the natural place that you would immediately go. So there, there's a number of automotive OEMs working with Amazon and competitors on voice interfaces for their vehicles. You also see the, the Echo and the Dot are, are products that people tend to keep in their kitchen and living room. And this is where the Google Home was as well, just because it becomes very natural to interact with this interface when your hands are full and you can't actually do anything else. So any kind of use cases that speak to that are the next natural um, progression for these interfaces to go. When you're talking about the living room, I have a, I have a 10 month old daughter and I know whether it, it, when I'm home alone and your hands are full, you, you need to ask or answer phone or maybe, maybe I shouldn't be sending emails at that time, but definitely I could see it. So as soon as it evolves a little easier and a little natural, like you mentioned, it, it'd be such a, it'd just be natural to start using. No, it. exactly. I think, I think your, your particular experience speaks to exactly one of the use cases. You know, you can be hands full and, and ask Alexa, you know, what your next appointment is or to, you know, shift an appointment because you're going to be delayed leaving the house by 30 minutes. That's something that you could easily do and is accessible today. I mean, you're mentioning, uh, we, we talk quite a bit in terms of onboarding and, and growing your team. And specifically, what, what I'm interested to know is get your thoughts in terms of product management. I, I recently interviewed uh, Magoja Green. She's the chief product officer at Top Hat. And I found it interesting that she mentioned it's also difficult to find a good product manager as well. And at the end of the day, because you can't, you don't really know these people until they're working for you. 
you have to go with your gut. Is this something that you could relate to? Can you share with us how you're building out your product management team? Yeah, I can completely relate to that. And I completely back up what Malgosia said as well. It's extremely hard to find talent that's able to hit the ground running on day one. Part of that is because Toronto is just beginning to really build and foster that talent. So the way, the way we end up making up for it is, is just as she does. And when we're, what we're hiring for is traits and values in an individual. I'm, I'm most definitely of the mindset that the specific, uh, hard skills involved in product management are all skills that can be taught and learnt. Though the, the soft skills are, are ones that are, are harder to change and adapt in people. So that's constantly what I'm looking for. And when I, when I mentioned earlier, one of the aspects in our interview process is this pairing with myself. What I'm looking for in, in people there is their ability to like interact with me, talk through how they're seeing a problem and solving a problem. I'm not, I'm not necessarily looking for a specific product management skill. I'm looking for their, their ability to logically go through a, through a system and find opportunities. And from there, uh, if they can do that, I'm more than confident in both myself and my team in being able to elevate them to gain all the product management skills that they're going to need in order to be successful. Since you've been building your team out, are you getting more of a sixth sense for this as well at this point? Yeah. Um, I think what's, what's happening currently is in, in the startup community here, uh, you know, phase one is all about growth and build something. And then as soon as you start getting some kind of traction or need to evolve your product, um, that's really when, when the role of a, a product manager starts becoming much more relevant. And with all the, the capital coming into Canada, the, cli- the climate being the right time for technology and startups, it just naturally means that we're having a lot more of these local startups reach the next level, which is requiring the skill. And that, that's, Partly why you find you find the gap, and you partly find the the lack of current talent. But I I feel that's something that's going to be actively changing as you're growing out tribal scale. And you mentioned that you're in three offices right now. And I, I just want to take you back to a time when you were you're with Pivotal. I understand you helped them grow there the, in open offices in Denver. So I want to know how that experience helped you form your leadership qualities that you have today. Yeah, definitely. So, um, just, just to make a little correction. So I, while at Pivotal, I spent a few months in Denver, uh, but Denver was an established, uh, smaller office, but the office I helped open was in Washington, DC. So I, I essentially was employee number two in, in Washington, DC. And, and when I left, we had a, a solid crew of, of full times there. So that, that was really the enli- enlightening experience and what it's like to build something. And what I learned while out there was two important things. Number one is the culture that you want to establish is something that as as a first employee or as a first leader there, it's completely up to you to set what that tone is. So whether that means, you know, getting in the trenches to work on, on daily projects, 
constantly switching hats because when you're in a small office, you don't necessarily have a reception yet. We don't have somebody that's thinking about like employee wellness. All of that needs to be thought of by somebody and there's not a dedicated person. So, so in the early days, you need to set the culture of thinking about these things and showing employees they can be involved in all those aspects. So that means your first employees are are critically important because they're going to be the ones that help set the tone for you. Secondly, the other thing that I learned there is as a leader, just because you're a leader does not mean you don't need support or support isn't available to you. At Pivotal, I was lucky as, you know, I may have been a leader in the Washington, D.C. office, but I had a great support network outside of Washington, D.C. in Pivotal that was able to provide guidance come when needed. But at tribal scale, we don't necessarily have that. That being said, there's no shortage of people in in my network that are more than open to providing advice and helping. And as a leader, I think it's important to recognize that you you – if you see a blind spot, uh, it, it's up to you to recognize that and lift your hand and ask for help. You learned that, I mean, in, in your earlier in your career, just to ask for help. And I'm sure, and correct me if I'm wrong, it helped you as well as an entrepreneur. Oh, most definitely. I think knowing knowing your your blind spots is just as important and maybe even a little more so than knowing your strengths because your, your blind spots are, are going to indicate the pieces you could miss entirely and 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 those pieces could be quite important to success. So I'm I'm very curious to know who who are your biggest influences when it comes to business leadership. Yeah, so I I I have a couple uh one one of which is is probably one that I share with many people and and that's Jeff Bezos at Amazon. I feel he kind of embodies what it is to make bold decisions for the benefit of the the company and and you see that in the risk that he takes and you and you see that even in in his last open letter to the shareholders one of the things that we, we spoke about internally at our company even is this concept of to disagree and commit which is what he termed that as a leader and in his position as a CEO He's not necessarily going to agree with every product idea his team comes up with, every approach they come up with, but he recognized how much how much closer they are to the actual market. And the last thing he wants to do is be a blocker for work to take place and success to happen. So he has this, uh, this advice that he says at Amazon, you are free to disagree with, with an approach or an idea. But once you disagree, you still need to commit and follow through on whatever the direction is. So I, I thought that was phenomenal. And, and that's something that we try and do ourselves. The next business leader who's a little bit closer to home uh, and a, a leader in the, in the Toronto tech community is uh, Farhan Tower. He was a uh, VP of engineering at both Extreme Labs and Pivotal. So I got to spend a lot of time with him there. And, and he's one of our advisors at Tribal Scale uh, now that he's the CTO of Helpful. And I feel two of the traits that I really look up for in Farhan is his 
his awareness that as a leader, he actually works for his employees, not the other way around. It's his job to elevate them, to remove blockers, to enable them to be as successful as they can be. And that's how his company is going to be successful. And he also understands what the core principles he believes in are and doesn't compromise on those. So from an engineering perspective, um, pair programming, for instance, this is something that's a, a strong fundamental at, uh, it was at Extreme Labs, it is at Pivotal, and it currently is at Tribal Scale. And in his own company, um, they, they only pair program as well. And that's something that they, he, he truly believes in and would not compromise on. And, and to me, it's encouraging to see those kinds of values like um, stuck to in all kinds of situations. I'm always curious to find entrepreneurs or other business leaders, if there's any books that they're currently reading right now that that's helping out or you could share it to myself and to the listeners. Yeah. So um, I, I read Work related wise, I read kind of two streams of books. Uh, one of which is more process oriented, where I'm actually trying to learn things to, to bring into how we work. And there, some of the ones that are top of mind are, are sprints by Jake Knapp at, at Google Ventures, the lean enterprise, uh, which is, uh, similar to the lean startup, but, but reframed in the context of the enterprise. And then Strategic Foresight, which is a, a, a book all on essentially the science be, behind being able to predict the future, which, uh, which is a nice thing to be able to do. And then as general business books, what I try and do is I'm aware of some of my own blind spots and I try and do reading to kind of fill some of those. So uh, I'm currently reading Difficult Conversations. That's something that I, I struggled with earlier in my career and I'm, I'm needing to progressively deal with it head on every day now. So that's, that's a, a, a book that I'm finding super valuable. And then in the, the world of innovation, uh, Clay Christensen did a great job on Innovator's Dilemma. And there's a lot of stories in there to be well understood in order to successfully help companies change. So that, that, that's one that's at the very top of my list as well. I got a fun question. I know your, your team and your company is fairly young and it's growing really rapidly. But if I were to ask your, your current team or maybe your longest standing team members at this point is what's the best leadership quality you had? What do you think they would say? I think they would say it's my commitment to the team. And when I say that, I mean, they're very aware that I'm always willing and wanting to get into the trenches with them. So whether that's dealing with a, a, a current difficult problem that they have or simply pairing and staying late on a particular issue, um, I think that they all recognize that and that's something that they they very much appreciate that there's someone on the leadership team that is always going to kind of have their back and, and willing to do what it takes and fill the gaps as necessary to help them be successful. Just just to know that one of the leaders will always, is always approachable and and like you said, will sit down after hours and even pair with them and program and, and just really debug with them. Oh yeah, mo most definitely. Um, you know, I'm I'm definitely with the growth of tribal scale, 
um, it, it's happened so fast that my my own leadership traits and abilities are constantly evolving, and I'm I'm you know I'm I'm not uh, I'm I'm far from a seasoned veteran yet, and I'm I'm aware of that myself, and I feel it's a benefit to be kind of transparent about that uh, because we're all kind of on this journey together, and and what we need to do is have that that commitment to succeed. Before we end, I'd like, I always like to try to get some final thoughts from the business leaders that I have here. Perhaps your observations, any actionable recommendations that you could share for the future leaders, maybe the future product managers out there that are looking to maybe grow their career or even get into the career of product management. Yeah, definitely. So on, on leadership specifically, what I would say is regardless of what your role is in a company, there are always going to be opportunities to step up and create additional value, but sometimes those opportunities are not clearly communicated. So it's really important to be aware of what your company's doing, what's important to them. And when you see a gap, to, to step in and, and try and fill it if that's something that you can fill. And the leaders in that company will recognize that and, and that presents a huge opportunity to grow. On the, on the product management path, I would say the, the current Toronto ecosystem is starting to be an awesome place to spend more time, uh, networking with startups and getting in, in, involved. And tech is one of those things where there's a very low barrier of entry into learning and being able to um, upskill yourself. So if you're not in product management, and, and that's a field that you'd like to get into, the most important thing to anyone hiring is to be able to recognize, like I said, the traits and values that are important, and then your commitment to, to learn and grow. So that means taking advantage of your environment to do that. So to close, Mitch, please tell us where we can find more about Tribal Scale, about you, and perhaps any, any other fun events that you'll be at. Yeah, definitely. So as always, tribalscale.com. We just launched our new version of the website this past week. So we, there's more and better content there. And you can also find our links to all of our various social media there. We're actually quite, quite active on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. So definitely hit us up there and feel free to reach out to me directly. You can find my details there. I'm always happy to have a conversation and meet new people. Again, Mitch, thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the episode. What did you guys think? Mitch is, is a great example of someone who is leading by example. Not only does he have key people who he could turn to, but he is also continually to grow as he wants to ensure that he keeps the culture intact. I'm really excited to see Tribal Scale grow and will personally be watching how they build out their team and the company. If you're interested in learning more about Mitch, Tribal Scale, and any of the other resources like the books he mentioned, I have posted the links on our website, but you could go directly to the episode by going to thebusinessleadership.com slash zero one three i would love to hear from you feel free to reach out directly via email to edwin at the businessleadership.com we are currently serving our listeners to learn more about who you are please take a few minutes and visit our website and click the survey link found on the home page thank you again 
And until next time, Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com.